Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Thank you once again for joining on our podcast. I appreciate so much all the the support and the feedback and all the reviews uh, across the different platforms. Uh, because of your support and listening, uh, you guys have put us in a top 100 uh, podcasts in the world in the religion and spirituality genre, uh, which is... Uh, I believe close to 300,000 podcasts. Thank you so much for taking time to listen. Uh, And thankfully, uh, the hunger and thirst that you have uh, shown with the feedback, I'm thankful that this podcast has been a blessing to you. And it's a blessing to be able to do this. Uh, We're going to turn our attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And this is an amazing a story in the scripture um, that a lot of people don't understand the nuances of of why it's there. And there are uh, some literal meanings to take and some spiritual meanings to take uh, that I believe will be a blessing to you today. Luke chapter 24, it talks about these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus was about seven miles away Uh, from Jerusalem, and they are walking on this road, and after Jesus had just died, three days after he died, trying to process his death. And the Bible says that they constrained him to come and dwell with them because Jesus showed up. They didn't know it was Jesus. He was as a stranger. He showed up in another form, the Bible says. So they didn't know that they were looking at Jesus' resurrected body. And so they constrained this stranger to come into the home with them. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 29, it says, But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he said at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Later, in verse 35, when they testified of recognizing that that was Jesus resurrected, in verse 35 it says, And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. This is profound to me because the testimony of these two disciples and how they knew it was Jesus is whenever he broke the bread. Now, to get the setting of what's going on here, three days after Jesus was crucified, they had just watched their dream die in front of their face. They had just watched everyone that they had put their hope and their trust in. They had watched him be crucified and nailed, and they watched him give up the ghost. And they're still carrying the sting of that loss because there's no sign of him being resurrected. 
They even hear it's even worse. The tomb is empty. So they have all these fears because not only did he die, not only was he buried, but now they can't even find his body to come and honor him later. They don't know what's happening. They are still processing their loss. And as they are processing the loss, things go through their mind like, how could this happen to him? Jesus was perfect. He had come to do goodwill. He had healed the blinded eyes, unstopped the deaf ears. And they are wondering, how can something so bad happen to someone so good? How can something so, someone so perfect go through something so tragic? And this is a process to, to, to try to think about because you and I deal with that same thing. When you are doing everything you can to do right, and something still goes wrong. When you are doing everything that you can, you're, you're, you're giving, you're praying, you're helping, you're worshiping, but what do you do when you do all of that and tragedy still comes? What I've learned about tragedy is that tragedy is no respecter of persons. It comes to the poor, it comes to the rich, it comes to the wise, it comes to the fool. It's no respecter of persons. It doesn't discriminate. It'll just show up. And we are left after we suffer loss with questions. That's what these disciples are left with. All they're left with is questions. No presence, no power. Three days of just nonstop questions. And the Bible says as they are walking on the road to Emmaus, that they begin to commune and reason among themselves. This word reason in the Greek is susteo which literally means to argue and to question. So they are filled with questions after suffering loss. This wasn't supposed to happen. And while they're questioning, this is unbelievable to me, the Bible says that Jesus himself drew near. I'm so thankful for the word of God because while they are questioning, their questions didn't prevent Jesus from drawing close. No matter how much they questioned, no matter how much they doubted, no matter how much they feared, nothing could prevent the presence of God from drawing near to them. I'm so thankful that when we are dealing with questions, when we are dealing with doubts and concerns, there is nothing that can stop the presence of God from drawing close to us. They're questioning, and Western culture has tried to teach us that it is wrong to ask questions, and I would say modern Western culture has tried to teach us that, that somehow a question is to challenge authority. It's not true. I'm so thankful that God isn't intimidated by questions because questions are an invitation to revelation. There is no revelation without questions. As a matter of fact, anytime God was about to reveal something, many times it was preceded by a question. Adam, where are you? He knows where Adam is, but he uses the question to help Adam understand where he is. How far you have fallen, Adam, from my original intention. Where are you? Think about it. Process it. Get revelation. How did you get here? Before he gives the revelation to Peter, Peter says, 
he, he, he tells the disciples, he says, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And somewhere the question began to challenge and provoke. And Peter, as he's navigating through the questions, and they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. But he said, but who do you say that I am? God is using a question to provoke revelation. And somewhere in the questions, in the sphere of questions, Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. The question provoked revelation. The question provoked discovery. God isn't intimidated by questions. He uses questions. As a matter of fact, the early Western civilization, they were the ones that invented the art of questioning. They came up with the strategy of questions. The Greeks, they are the ones that invented philosophy. Philosophy is encompassed with the one word, why? Matter of fact, in problem solving in modern day, they say if you want to solve a problem, the first thing you need to ask is who, what, when, where, why. If you want a sixth question, you put how. Those questions are essential to discover solutions. My word. Anytime there is a question, God has a solution. Anytime there's a question, God has an answer. And we don't have to go to the world or the culture with our questions. We can come to Jesus because you will discover that he is the only answer. He is the only sufficient answer. He's not intimidated by questions like you and I get intimidated by questions. If you tell your child, hey, go clean your room, and your child comes back and says, why? See, you're ready to fight. You're ready. You're ready. You're ready to put them and you're ready to ground them. You're like, hold on, man. Hold on. What's going on? Are you questioning my authority? Are you, are you, see, see why we interpret it as a challenge. I'm so thankful that God doesn't interpret our questions as a challenge. As a matter of fact, scientists and researchers, they did a study as they were comparing and contrasting humans and animals. And as they were comparing and contrasting humans and animals, they did a study and they realized that animals adapt to their environment in a similar way that humans do. Animals communicate with their own species in a similar way that humans do. But they say one of the greatest differences between humans and the animal is the ability to ask a question. They did an intense study in primate cognition that no matter how, even in sign language, an animal, they could teach an animal to sign, these apes to sign, but an animal, no matter how well you taught it to sign, they couldn't sign a question. And no animal in the world is able to ask a question. See, questions are a sign of your humanity. Questions are a sign of your distinction above every other species. It is a privilege to have questions. It is your distinction that you have the ability cognitively to come to a question. And if you can come to a question, it means you can come to a solution. 
Matter of fact, that makes that's what makes God speaking through the donkey so great. Uh, God spoke through the donkey, and it was a miracle in Numbers chapter 2, verse 28 through 30. It, it, it was a miracle. God spoke through the donkey, but the miracle wasn't that God just spoke through the donkey. The miracle was the donkey's first words. The donkey's first words are, why are you hitting me? It's impossible for an animal to speak, but God reached into the donkey's mind, gave it human intellect, human reasoning, human understanding, and the first thing that came out of the donkey's mouth was, why? Wasn't that God, the miracle wasn't that God just spoke through the donkey, the miracle was that God gave it the ability to ask a question. He didn't just ask one question, he asked three questions. (laughs) Why? How long have I served you? What have I done to deserve this? It's impossible for an animal not only to talk, but for an animal to ask questions. And maybe, maybe the there's a cognitive ability where a parrot can mutter words and things like that, but from its own cognitive standpoint, it cannot ever ask a question. That belongs to God's chosen. That belongs to God's elect. That belongs to the crown of creation, humanity. It is a privilege to have questions. It just matters where do we go with our questions. Do we go to the culture? Do we go to the newspapers? Do we go to the media? Or do we go to the word of God? Do we go to the presence of God? Because that is going to determine if you find the right answers or not. If any animal could talk, the first thing they would ask is why. Your cat at home would ask, why? Your dog at home would ask, why didn't you feed me more? Where do you go on Sundays? Why do you leave the house? But they don't get that privilege. They just have to sit and take it because only humans get the ability to ask questions. And I'm so thankful that Jesus is willing to draw near while I'm battling with questions. He draws near to them. And as he draws near to them, he starts asking them questions. The God has a sense of humor. They're questioning and he starts asking them questions. He says, what what are y'all talking about? They said, man, didn't you hear Jesus of Nazareth? He was a man, mighty in word and deed. Uh, we had trusted that he was the one that, that, that should have helped us and, and that he was the Messiah, that he was the one that should have redeemed Israel. He said, man, it's been three days of silence. Nothing's happened. And they said this. The Bible says their eyes were holding. They couldn't recognize him. They did not recognize that that was him standing in front of them. Their eyes were holding. They couldn't recognize him. And they said, not only is it bad that this happened, but we had trusted that he was the one that should have redeemed Israel. They are still questioning And they're so traumatized with the pain of yesterday, they cannot see the miracle of today. Have you ever been there? So overwhelmed with what happened that they can't even see what's happening. Jesus is standing right in front of them and they are mourning over his body while his body's standing right in front of them. But through the trauma, through the pain, through the hurt, they just couldn't see him. They couldn't recognize him. They couldn't see the blessing of today because of the failure of yesterday. Have you ever been there where you can't even see the good that God has done and is doing 
because of the trauma of yesterday. And we neglect the newborn babe of today to embrace the old calloused ragged yesterday. We can't focus and nourish today because we're still processing what we lost yesterday. The Bible says that they are mourning over him and he's, they say not only did this happen, not only was he killed, but they say we can't find his body. And Jesus is standing right in front of him saying, really? You can't find his body, huh? I know Jesus had to have a smile on his face because they're looking at him as if he's a stranger. They do not recognize him. And the Bible says that he began to open the book. My word, I'm so thankful for the book. And beginning at Moses, he, he, he said, ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And he said, when he would have gone further, they constrained him saying, come into our house. And he goes and tarries with them. They still don't recognize him. Then the Bible says that he said it meet with them. He took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And he was known of them in the breaking of bread. They couldn't see him until he broke the bread. Now, what is the biblical revelation here? Because this story is a mystery to me that he's walking with them. He's talking with them. He's spending time with them. He's in his house, in their house, but they don't see him until he breaks the bread. Why is this? Well, you have to go to Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, just two chapters earlier. And when you go to the Bible in two chapters earlier, anytime you have questions, you want to go to the Bible for context to help you understand what's happening. Anytime you have questions with what you're reading, you want to go to the book to find the answers because the Bible interprets itself. It's here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. So why is it they didn't have revelation until they broke the bread biblically? Luke chapter 22 and verse 19 at the last supper, look what happens. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Mm. When he was breaking the bread at the last supper, he was showing them what was going to happen with his body because he is the bread of life. So he's saying, I am about to be broken and it's for you. Mm. And you cannot receive the spirit that's going to be poured out in Acts 2 unless I am first broken on the cross for you. Because it's only me being broken on the cross that you're going to get access to the presence that's beyond the holiest of holies. And remember, when he was broken on the cross, the veil was rent from top to bottom, which, it, which held back the holiest of holies. But when it was broken from top to bottom, it had free access to the people. 
his presence, that it's not just a high priest that goes in once a year. Now everybody in the world has free access to the presence of God. But he said, you cannot get here without brokenness. Mm. And they remembered when he broke the bread feeding the 5,000. They remembered when he broke the bread feeding the 4,000. They remembered when he broke the bread at the Last Supper and the bread of life would be broken for the sins of the world. Oh my word, I feel the Holy Ghost talking to somebody here. And that when they saw him break the bread, they got the revelation. Hold on, it's him, it's him but they could not get revelation until they first saw brokenness. See, the literal principle to take out of this is that they couldn't see him until he broke the bread. And then it was the revelation that he had to go to the cross for the fulfillment of the word of God. And they finally saw him. The scales came out off of their eyes when he broke the bread. That is the literal meaning. That is the spiritual meaning. But how do we apply this? It applies to us that there's some places in God that we cannot see until we first see brokenness. That there are some places in God that we can't even discover until we survive a broken season. And it was in brokenness that they got revelation. It was in brokenness that they got understanding and they couldn't see him. Listen, they're talking with him. They have a relationship with him. They're talking with him. They're spending time with him, but they cannot see him until they encounter brokenness. And I'm so thankful for prayer, but there are some things in God that aren't unlocked by prayer, but it's unlocked when we survive a broken season. Can I tell you what's coming out of your broken season? revelations coming out of it. Joy is going to come out of it. You're not going to be broken for any reason. And, and in Matthew 14, 19, every time he broke the bread, before he broke it, the Bible says he blessed it. God would never allow brokenness in your life if he didn't give you a blessing first to be able to handle it and survive it. God would never allow the pain to come in your life if you weren't already equipped to handle it and come out better. God released a blessing before the pain came, before you lost your daughter, before you lost your friend, before you lost the job, before you went through the suffering and you thought you were abandoned. No, the sign that God is with you is that you survived it because he releases his presence to give you the ability to not destroy self, but to come out of it better. Somewhere along the line, maybe years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I'm talking to a backslider right now. I'm talking to someone that's left God. I'm talking to someone that left God and you've been going through brokenness after brokenness after brokenness and you wonder what's going on. How am I able to handle it? Somewhere when you were a seven-year-old child, you were in a church service and you lifted up your hands and you felt his presence and tears came down your eyes and God was blessing you to give you the ability to handle the season you're in right now. And the broken season would have never come if you weren't equipped to survive it. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. 
God understood that Jeremiah would go through some things. He understood that Jeremiah would be cast in prison. They understood that Jeremiah would cry so much he would write a whole book called Lamentations. They understood that Jeremiah, that he would be rejected by the people. But God said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. I gave you the capacity to endure. So if you're going through it, it's a sign you have within you to overcome it. He blessed before he broke. And God blesses before he breaks. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost talking to someone listening right now. God has not abandoned you in your brokenness. He's not abandoned you in your fear. He's not abandoned you in your problems. God knows how to draw near in brokenness and give revelation. They couldn't see him. No matter how much they talked to him or spent time with them, they didn't realize it was him until they saw brokenness. Think about it with me, because he took them to the Pentateuch, the first five books in the Bible. He took them to the Torah, the first five books in the Bible. He took them to the laws and the prophets to show them and reveal to them that he was the Christ. And from the beginning, we can see that God knows how to get glory out of brokenness. Think about it with me. God creates Adam. Adam's made in the image of God. Adam is blessed by God. Adam has an assignment from God. But God looks at Adam and says, it's not good that man be alone. Hold on one second. All throughout creation, God says, it's good. It's good. He made the first day and it was good. The second day and it was good. He made this and it was very good. But he looks at man that is blessed, that has an assignment, that has a purpose and says, it's not good that man be alone. So God breaks his body open in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 through 22. He breaks his body open. Listen, grabs a rib out of his body, my word, makes a woman out of the rib. And according to, to Proverbs 18.22, it says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Hold on one second now. All the creation, it was good. It was good. It was very good. It was very good. He looks at men. It's not good. Here it is. So God puts him into a deep sleep. This is where we get the concept of anesthesia. God is the first surgeon in the world. <laughs> he puts Adam under anesthesia, puts him in a deep sleep, cuts him open. My word, that's painful, guys. Takes a rib out, makes a woman out of it. And the Bible says he that finds a wife finds a good thing. See, he allowed brokenness to bring goodness out of him. He said, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. I know how to fix this. I'm going to allow you to go through a broken season. Mm. And I'm going to bring goodness out of brokenness. He that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor of the Lord. Favor came forth out of brokenness. Adam and Eve had children. Fruit 
came forth out of brokenness. You know what God was saying? Adam, I can do more with you broken than I can do with you whole. And God can do much in us broken even more than when we're whole. You know, there are people that are gifted, that have abilities, that are gifted, they have intellect, they have all of this, but there's no fruit that comes out of their lives. They got this pent-up gifting, and they have all of this charisma and all of this ability, but there's no, there's no fruit that comes forth out of their lives, and they're whole, my word. But something happens after a broken season. What's in them starts coming out of them, my word. It was pent up before the pain, but after the pain, it flowed out. That's why, right, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The problem with the treasure in an earthen vessel is that no one can see the treasure in an earthen vessel. You know when you see a treasure in an earthen vessel? When it's broken. Sometimes the brokenness allows what the treasure that God has put in us to flow out of us. Mm. Oh, I'm talking to somebody right now. He that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor of the Lord. Favor came forth out of brokenness. God did more with Adam broken than he did with him whole. God did more in Adam broken than he did with him whole. After he was broken, you see, people think that Adam was like Plato or something. Like God just kind of took the rib out. Oh, thanks, bud. Send you on your way. No, 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 no. That was surgery. God cut him open. Adam was in pain when he woke up and when he woke up. And when he woke up, Adam looked at God and said, God, what did you do? Ooh, my, 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 my. This is bone of my bone and this is flesh of my flesh. You know what he was saying? It was worth going through what I went through when I see the masterpiece that God created out of what I went through. I'm talking to somebody that's listening right now. A masterpiece is being made. Something is coming out of this that's going to bless your life forever. Something good is coming out of this brokenness. When you're broken, it's not over. It's just getting started because something's happening. God may have not have authored your brokenness. Maybe it was the devil. Maybe it was your bad decisions. But I've come to tell you on this podcast that God can use it for his glory and turn it around. He can redeem it and fit it and make it work to his purpose. Genesis 7:11. the Bible says when the flood came on the earth, the Bible says that the rain came down from heaven for 40 days. But it says something interesting in Genesis 7, 11. It says that, and the fountains of the deep were broken up. That water didn't just come from heaven. Water also came from the bottom when the bottom was broken. See, some of us have been discouraged because we've been waiting for the rain of blessing to come over us. God, send the rain, send the rain, send the rain. But God's looking at you in your broken season and saying, hey, there's water coming from the bottom. There's life that's going to flow out of your brokenness. 
I'm on the bottom. How can God use me? God says, perfect. I'm going to use the bottom. And when you're broken on the bottom, something's going to flood and push up into the heavenlies. Don't be discouraged if you're not getting the rain of blessing from heaven yet. Start looking at your brokenness. Life's coming, going to flow out of it. Think about it with me. Moses was a man of mighty words and deeds, Acts chapter 7, verse 22 through 25. Stephen preaches that man, that Moses was a man of mighty words and deeds in Egypt. Moses had an oratory gift in Egypt. He could speak well. He was a man of mighty words and deeds. And, and Stephen preaches in Acts 7, verses 22 through 25, that Moses killed an Egyptian in his own strength, uh, supposing that Israel might understand that he was their deliverer by his hands, he was their deliverer, and they understood it not. Moses killed that Egyptian in his own strength, supposing that Israel would rally behind him with swords and shields to kill the Egyptians. But that's not how God wanted to do it. God wanted to do a God thing, not a man thing. So God places Moses into a 40-year broken season. And God, in that broken season, he stripped down Moses' oratory down to a stutter. He had an oratory gift, a man of mighty words and deeds. And he spoke to Hebrews in their language in the text because the because one of his brethren said, hey, we heard what you did to that Egyptian. He understood it and he spoke back. He saw that this was known. He had an oratory gift in Egypt, but somewhere he began to rely on himself and his strength and his ability. He knew that he was their deliverer. So God put him through a 40-year broken season and stripped down his oratory down to a, 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 a stutter. And God said, you're ready. He stripped him down to a dependency. He used the broken season to bring him down to a dependency. God stripped down the hyperbole, the metaphors, the similes. He stripped down the pauses, the rhyme and the rhythm, and stripped them down to ah, 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 And God said, now you're ready. I brought you to a place where you cannot do your will and purpose without me. I can bring 10 plagues with that stutter. I can open up the Red Sea with that stutter. I can, I can give you the commandments with that stutter. I can give you a tabernacle plan with that stutter. I can do more with your stutter than I can do with your oratory. Who told you you had to be strong to do God's will? Who told you you had to be perfect to do God's will? God stripped him down to a dependency where Moses could not get the will of God done for his life. Here it is, without God and without his brother because his brother became his translator. He said, go get Aaron. Aaron's going to translate for you. Now Moses couldn't do God's will without his brother and without his God. Does the same thing happen to us when we go through a broken season? Because we like to say when we're doing good, I don't need anybody. But when you go through a broken season, all of a sudden we begin to be thankful and grateful for the brethren. When things are going good, it's like 
It's like, hey, I don't need nothing. But, but when we go through that broken season, can you pray for me? God knows how to use the brokenness to bring a dependence on the body and be it a dependence on his presence. He stripped down his oratory, down to a stutter, and did more in that weakness than he could have ever done in his strength. He did more with them broken than he did with them whole. I'm telling you, if you're broken, there's hope. I'm telling you, if you've gone through it, there's hope. There's hope. Mm, I feel God's presence talking to somebody listening right now. And on this theme of reconciliation, I, I want to talk about this because Moses reconciled with his brother and God used brokenness to help that happen. And this is powerful to me because in, in the life of David in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 through 4, the Bible says that, you know, David's brothers, they didn't really like him. How would you feel if the anointing skipped over you and came on the youngest? His brothers weren't, weren't a fan of David. As a matter of fact, when they were disappointed that the oil came on him, and when David went to, to the battle, Eliab said, what are you doing here? Don't you? I know you have a naughtiness in your heart. His brothers were jealous of him. But there came a time after David would go to the palace that Saul would be so jealous of David that Saul would throw javelins and try to kill him. And David and his brothers never got along. But now David is running for his life. The most powerful man in the kingdom is after him. And David is forced into the cave Abdullam in 1 Samuel 22. And when he's forced into the cave Abdullam, the Bible says, this is profound to me, that his brothers heard of it and came to him. See, David was in a broken season, but while he was in the cave of, broken of brokenness, it became a cave of reconciliation. Sometimes God will use the brokenness that the enemy comes against us with. He will use it as an opportunity of reconciliation. This is profound to me because not only did his brothers reconcile, the Bible says that his mom and dad came into the cave as well. And he told his mom and dad, he brought them to the king of Moab. Now, remember, Moab and Israel didn't get along. God put a curse on Moab, as a matter of fact. But remember, Ruth is a Moabite in the lineage of Jesse and David. But Israel and Moab were at odds. But in the cave of brokenness, the Bible says he brought his parents to the king of Moab so the king of Moab could protect his parents. You see, that brokenness brought generational reconciliation. My word, I'm talking to somebody right now. That somewhere in the brokenness, God can use it to bring a reconciliation, not only among brethren, but even past generations where you had generational conflict in your family, God can use the broken season to knit things up and knit things back together. I'm just trying to tell you in this podcast that God knows how to use brokenness. And just like those two men on the road to Emmaus, their eyes were open. I want your eyes to open to the revelation that your God is sovereign and he can move in any setting and any situation. Hmm. And he doesn't need anybody's permission to move. God is so powerful. God is so powerful. People, people say, hey, God can't do anything without faith. Where did you get that from? You didn't get it from the Bible. You can't do anything without faith. 
Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But he can do anything he wants. Why? Where's your biblical text to support that, Brother Jackson? Here it is. Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who helped God create the heavens and the earth? Whose faith helped the world be framed? No one's. He did all that without any help, (laughs) without anybody's permission, without anybody to believe. He is sovereign. He created the world without anybody's faith. Before you ever came to believe in him, he formed you in the womb. Before you confessed his name, before you got baptized, before you received his spirit, before you heard of him, he formed you in the womb and he knew you long before you knew him. He can move with or without your faith. You can't do anything without faith, but he can. We're limited. He's not. Faith gives us access to him, but faith is not his only access to us. He knows your name. The very hairs on your head are numbered, and he sees your tears. He sees you in the midnight hour. He sees you crying. He sees the fears. He sees the depression. And even when you don't even have faith to cry out, he says, my daughter, my child, my son, I'm here, and I can restore, and I can heal you in the broken season. A profound story to me is in Samson, the book of Samson, the life of Samson, the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 14, verse 6 through 8, the Bible says that Samson comes up upon a lion. And this is just profound to me. I just want to throw this in here before we end this podcast today. Because somebody, the Holy Ghost is ministering to somebody. In Judges 14, 6 through 8, the Bible says that there was a lion They came against Samson, and the Bible says that the lion roared at him. Look what Samson did. The Bible says he rent that lion in two. He broke open that lion. And then he came back a few days later, and he looked at the carcass of that lion, and he looked into the lion's brokenness, and what he saw in the lion's brokenness was honey. Mm. That doesn't make sense to us because out of the lion's brokenness came sweetness. Something so filthy, something so ugly. How could sweetness come out of it? And he would put a riddle to them later and say, how, he, he would say it this way in, uh, in Judges chapter 14 uh, and verse uh, 14. He would say it this way, out of the eater came forth meat and out of the strong came forth sweetness. How something out of something so ugly, how something sweet can come out of it. This is profound to me because in that lion's brokenness, the bees were looking for the perfect place to produce honey. Mm. And one bee got the bright idea. Why not produce honey right in the middle of the lion's brokenness. We're going to produce honey in a place we know we won't be bothered because no one expects sweetness to come out of brokenness. And the Bible says that in that lion's brokenness, they made honey. Listen to this. It takes a lion's body about a month to decompose above the ground. This is, this is scientific. This is research. You can do the research. It takes a lion's body about a month to fully decompose above the ground. But it takes a beehive or a bee's nest to fully deteriorate. It takes it two to three months. 
which means long after the lion's body was gone, the honey that was produced out of the lion held on. And the sweetness lasted two to three times longer than the brokenness. Who am I preaching to on here? Who am I talking to on here? That your sweet season is going to last two to three times longer than your broken season. That long after the lion's body was fully decomposed, that beehive, that bee's nest, it took two to three months to fully deteriorate. There was still honey long after it was over. I'm telling you, honey's coming out of this. I'm telling you, honey's coming. And honey, the honey that came out of that lion, Samson ate. So the honey, the sweetness out of the brokenness, it fed Samson and felt the, it fed the chosen of God. And Samson used it to feed his family. It fed the people of God. I'm telling you, what's coming out of you is going to feed God's people. Sweetness is going to feed your family where you're where your kids won't ever have to go through what you went through. Why? Because there's still honey dripping out of your brokenness. And that honey is sustaining them through their broken season. Mm, you didn't go through it just for you. It wasn't even about you. You went through it for your community. You went through it for your, for your siblings. You went through it. And when they see the honey that comes out of your brokenness, it's going to minister and help so many people. They're going to say only God could have brought sweetness out of brokenness. A lot of people think that a caterpillar, they think a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and puts wings on and comes out a butterfly. That's not how that works. The caterpillar goes into the cocoon. Listen, and while the caterpillar is in the cocoon, it releases enzymes out of its body and its body begins to deteriorate. It begins to break its body down and reduces its body down to liquid. If you were to open a cocoon before its time, liquid would gush out. But over time, after it breaks its body down, it builds its body back up into a butterfly and out of brokenness came forth transformation. I'm telling you, Something's coming out of this. Be encouraged when you read the men on the road to Emmaus. They couldn't see him until he broke the bread. And there's some sides of God that we can't see clearly until the bread is broken, until we see a broken season. And there's something about brokenness that makes the word of God come alive. See, it's one thing to know the word. It's another thing to experience the word. It's one thing to just know it by knowledge. It's another thing to know it by experience. That it's like kids can quote scriptures such as, blessed uh, is the man who, whose you know, quiver is full of children. And they know the scripture, that children are the arrows of the Lord. And blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Kids can know that scripture and they can quote it. They know it. But that scripture means something completely different to an 80-year-old grandpa and an 80-year-old grandma. When they read that scripture, a tear comes down. What brings the tear? Not just that they know it, because they have experienced it. And there's something about our experiences that the word of God uses to attach us to the word. And where we receive, here it is, the engrafted word.
There's something about going through a struggle and finding honey in the word that ministers and touches and transforms us. I want you to be encouraged. Something's coming out of this broken season. I want you to be encouraged that it's not over. God may have not created your brokenness, but he can use it to develop you into what he wants you to be. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. Thank you for listening. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, For more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.